Hello, everybody. This is Dane Gentry, Standing Back Up Podcast. How's everyone doing today? Today, I'm here with my special guest, Mr. Jack Stone. We've hey. tried to do this. We've tried to do this a few times, man, and, and kept getting it messed up. So today, we're going to get this thing done. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing good, man. So even though I know your story, we're going to go all the way back through it again. Uh, tell everybody where you're from, man. Uh, so I was born in Houston, Texas, uh, raised in Clarksville, Tennessee and Chicago, Illinois. So I'm from, I'm from kind of all over the place really. All right. So, um, how old were you when you moved to Chicago, man? Uh, so when I moved to Chicago from Houston, Texas, I was three years old. I lived in Chicago till I was eight years old, then moved to Clarksville, Tennessee till I was 16 years old, then moved back to Chicago till I was 21 years old, then moved to Texas, uh, Dallas, Texas, uh, till I was, till I was 26 and then moved back to Tennessee after that. Was your parents, uh, was they alcoholics, addicts or anything? Yeah, my dad. My dad uh, is a recovering alcoholic. He he uh, had his own problems drinking growing up and stuff. Uh, he also is a he also was or still might be a, a pot smoker. I know he smoked a lot of weed, but I don't know if he does anymore. Really, I know he doesn't drink anymore. You know, some people can smoke pot and be successful. I can't. If I smoke pot, I'd relapse. But I can't smoke that shit. They smoke nowadays. No way. Yeah, um, I can't either. All right, man. How old were you when you started dibbling, dabbling in drugs? Um, I think I was 15 the first time I I smoked some weed, and uh, I did it with uh, my cousin, my cousin Clay. Uh, when we were in Clarksville, Tennessee, we were chilling, and we were always like skateboarding and stuff like that. I was huge into skateboarding when I was a kid, and. Uh, my cousin brought over some weed because he sold weed, I think, at the time. Yeah. And uh, I just, he was like, you want to try this? I was like, well, I mean, I don't really know what it is. I looked it up on the internet, I think, because at this time, you know, we had internet. We had, uh, it wasn't like where it is now, but like we had, we had desktop computers that were like the thin ones. So I could look up stuff on Google and everything. So I looked up what it was. And I figured, yeah, you know what, I kind of want to try it. So I did end up smoking weed with him, and that was that was my first time ever experience any like mind altering substance. Right. <clears throat> you see, you look it up on Google. See, we didn't have all that when I was a kid. We just, um, I was telling somebody the other day the first time I, I smoked a joint. I think I was eight or nine years old. Man, the guy gave me a shotgun. But all right, so. <laughs> How long did, yeah, I couldn't hold it in. I, it was choking me, man. I was coughing. I remember he kept putting his hand over my face, you know what I mean? Trying to get me to hold it in or whatever. <laughs> he was an older dude, but that guy I'm talking about is sick now. He's He's got brain cancer. He's about to pass away, but um, yeah, I knew he, I knew he was sick. Uh, I heard about it, and then his sister told me the other day he's pretty bad off. Uh, like, well, dang, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, he's pretty close to the end, and his brother, they lost his brother to an OD. Uh, it's been a I don't know, about a year now, I guess, something like that. So their dad's been through a lot, you know what I mean? But yeah, all right, so when did, when did you start messing with pills? What was the first pill that you took? Uh, okay, so I was around the same age. I think I was like 15 or 
or 16, uh, and I was at school one day, and I think after school, I was in high school at this point, so I think I was like freshman year in high school. Uh, I came home from school one day, and uh, my friend Hunter, I used to hang out with this this redneck kid named Hunter, like every day after school, he lived down the street from me. And so we were chilling and uh, he had this pill and I think it was an oxy, oxy 30 milligram, I think. Uh, I'm not really sure. I know it was an oxycodone, but I don't know, or oxycotton, but I don't know what milligram it was, but I remember popping it with him and uh, we each popped one. Then we were sitting down watching this uh, deer, like deer hunting show or whatever. It's like something <laughs> yeah. <you> watched. <laughs> yeah. I, um, hey, David, I can see your messages and stuff. Everybody that's coming on Facebook. But for whatever reason, man, it won't let me respond to them. I'm doing something wrong. I'll have to figure it out later. But I can see y'all. So, hey, man, how y'all doing? All right, go ahead, buddy. Uh, yeah, so we were watching this deer hunting show, and I thought it was stupid, but I didn't really care. And then that that thing hit me, bro, and um, I really didn't care after that. It, I just felt like a sense of just straight-up relief just coming over my whole body. Like I was just like, you know, that sense of warmness that you get, like a warm hug across your body, and then just, oh, yeah. of just utter, complete peace came over me like, I've never felt in my entire life. Like I was just like, I was like, okay, this is, this is <clears throat> where I want to be for the rest of my life. Like this is, <clears throat> this is the feeling that I want to feel always like 24 seven. I never want this to go away. Like I remember, I remember specifically thinking that when I was high on it. You know, it's the same thing. Everybody says every opiate addict says the same thing. And I remember it too, man. I got, Mine was from an accident when I was 15, but I, I wouldn't take it at first, but I can still remember the exact feeling you're talking about at 15 years old when I did take it, that feeling of, oh man, I didn't found something here. Oh yeah. It just feels history. like everything's okay now. Like nothing's wrong anymore. Like it, like even though like you didn't think that there, you didn't really like feel like something was wrong, but after, after I did that, it was like I knew something was wrong after that. Like I was like, right. like, oh shit, I'm missing something. Like, like this is what I, this is what I've been missing, or something like that. It felt like there was like a hole in my heart that I didn't notice until I got high on that oxy. Like I was like, I was like, oh my god, like this has been missing in my life, and I finally found the missing piece to 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 who I am, or something like that. What, what was your childhood like, though, man? Was there any abuse that you would talk about or, or no? Yeah, I mean, there was a, my dad, you know, I said, you know, my dad is a drinker, or he was a drinker. And, you know, when I was a kid, uh, him and my mom would get into a lot of, you know, altercations and fights and stuff. And I would always hear them yelling at each other, you know, uh, downstairs while I was upstairs in my room. Me and my brother would like sneak downstairs to watch him fight and everything. And like, you know, my dad, uh, my dad put his hands on me and stuff on a couple different occasions and gave me black eyes and everything out of like just being in a drunk, like angry, just state of mind. Like he'd just be angry. Like I, I always knew when he was drunk because he was always angry. Like he'd always be really mad and 
and it's something that used to scare the shit out of me when I was a kid. Like I was like, whenever I seen him like that, and I knew every single time I knew when he was drunk. And when I seen him like that, it just scared the shit out of me because I was like, oh god, like his dad, he gonna hurt me today. Like that's that's how I always felt growing up. Like I was always on on guard and like watch and like I always I wanted my mom around me twenty four seven and I I ended up having to go to a a psychologist about that because I was so like enmeshed with my mom, like having my mom around me because I was so afraid of my dad for a while that I had to I had to literally go through therapy to like detach myself from my mom a little bit because it was like it was like I was almost uh you know, it was like unhealthy how like much I needed my mom around me. Like I was like using her for protection. Like I was like, as long as mommy's around, I'm fine. Like it, that's just kind of how I coped with everything. And that's sad, man, to be, to think that as a child, you had to be that way. And there's so many other ones. I was just, I had a girl the other night, man. And, um, she was talking about sexual abuse as a child. I just couldn't imagine. You know, I wasn't abused as a child, man. I probably should have had my ass whooped, to be honest about it. If I'd had my <laughs> ass whooped, I'd probably been a bit better off, but uh, I, I didn't. But, um, you know, I had deals with older women, you know, when I was young and, and stuff. But I just couldn't imagine being a child having to go through anything like that. I mean, it's just sad, man. Do you think that 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 when so when you took that pill, do you think that was that? that was giving you that sense of everything was okay in that sense too, that yeah, you could deal with whatever dad did. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, even though I've literally never even thought that before, now that you just said that out loud, that just made perfect sense to me. It's like, it's almost like, I guess as soon as I took that pill and felt that feeling, it was like, it was like having my mom around me 24 seven. Like I felt like safe again or something. Like I was like, I was like, okay, like, it was almost like I was in a constant, constant state of fear that something bad was going to happen. Or my, even though my dad wasn't around at this time, like there was just that sense of fear instilled in me that something bad is going to happen. And as soon as I got that high from that oxy, it was like, oh shit, I'm safe. I'm safe. Okay. I'm okay. Like everything's okay. Shit. I'm fine. Like that's, that's how it felt to me. Yeah, I get it completely. It's, you know, people use it for different things. But if you think about it, when we start getting high, man, <clears throat> everything in our life is messed up. But as long as we got high, it would seem like everything was okay, even though it wasn't. We were just yeah. compounding even more. It's, it goes the same way. Whatever we're dealing with, that's what that drug does, man. It just has that sense of everything is okay. Um, yeah. And you're, you're how old at 15 now this time? Yeah, I think I was 15 or 16 at that point. So all through high school and stuff, is that what you did? Did you take pills or what did you do? Yeah, through high school. So after that, uh, I freaking, you know, I went to I went to juvie and I went to juvie for like a weed charge. which wasn't that serious. But then my dad had me move to Chicago with him because I had moved away from Chicago from him with my mom and brother. So it was me and my mom and brother living with each other for all of when I was growing up in my adolescent years. And then uh, I popped that pill and everything. And then I ended up moving to Chicago because I started getting in trouble. So my dad wanted me to move in with him out there. And I finished my junior and senior year in Chicago uh, high school. And 
you know, all through high school, I was just popping pills. I was selling a lot of, I was selling a lot of Percocets and Oxys when I was in uh, Chicago and uh, different opioid pills. And then uh, I started doing a lot of them after that. I just started popping them all the time. And then I had like little experiments with LSD. I was doing a lot of LSD for a while and a lot of ecstasy and just really just any any drug that I could get my hands on. I was I was doing it to the fullest extent that I could, you know. Christy, a friend of mine on here I grew up with, she was on my show the night. She said, you still look like a baby. Uh, <laughs> how, how old are you, Jack? 25? I'm 27 right now. 27, yeah. He does, you're right, Christy, though. He does, he does still look like a baby. Yeah, everybody. Oh. Everybody always tells me that I freaking I haven't I haven't grown much since I was like 16, 17. I really I really haven't grown that much. I don't know why. Probably drugs, man. Is your dad a little guy? Yeah, my dad and like both my mom and dad are little people, so it makes sense with my genetics for sure. All right, so you're. You go to Chicago. Are you still in Tennessee now at this time, or is this already after you gone back to Chicago? No, this is when I went back to Chicago now. So things get worse when you go to Chicago, I'm sure. Yeah, things got way worse. I just started doing, like, it became more, and, like, really it didn't become a complete necessity till after high school, but it was starting to become, like, in the big book when it talks about the hard user or the hard drinker, yeah like that's where i was at in my high school period like i didn't cross the line in the attic yet to where it was a necessity but i was i was using every day just like an addict would but i didn't i could put it down at, at certain points and just stop doing it so it didn't it didn't get to the drug addict point till probably after i graduated high school so no sickness yet. You hadn't you hadn't experienced withdrawals. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, no withdrawals, nothing like that. Uh, <clears throat> I did go to rehab when I was 18, uh, and I was that was during my senior year in high school. But that's because uh, my friend had called my dad because I, uh, I I took a bunch of uh, I took like an insane amount of hydrocodone one night, and I was uh, throwing up everywhere. I was at a party and uh, we had to leave the party because I was like, I was starting to shake and shit. Like, it was just weird. Like, I started to throw up everywhere and, and my my friend ended up showing up to my dad's house and uh, being like, hey, Jack needs to go to rehab. Like, he's, he's messed up on the drugs. And I still wasn't, you know, at that drug addict level yet, but he just assumed that I was because how hard I was using all the time. So he was with me like every day. So he seen how many drugs I was using. So he, he decided to step up and, and uh, be a good friend and tell my dad like, Hey, he needs help. You need to put him, you need to put him in rehab or something. Cause he needs help. Man, we need more friends like that. We don't only friends we have is trying to tell us how we can get more dope or what we need to do to help them get dope. Yeah, that's exactly. What, what... He was, he was one friend that I can, Shout out Rokoska, my number just, uh, that's my friend that did that for me. He's a Lithuanian dude from Chicago, but yeah. He's you still a, he's talk still to a him? Good friend. Huh? You still talk, you still talk to him? Yeah, I still talk to him sometimes. Uh, it's been a while to be honest. It's been probably over a year since I've spoken to, to him last, but I've talked to him probably about a year ago and we still keep in touch from now, you know, from time and time again. 
All right, let's talk about when you made the jump from just the pills. All right, so your first, when, no, tell me first though about when you really experienced withdrawal first, how that all went. Uh, so when I experienced withdrawal first, uh, so the backstory to it is that I, I dated a girl throughout my junior and senior year in high school, and uh, I was doing drugs that whole time. She was my high school sweetheart. We dated for three and a half or three years, I think. Yeah. maybe two and a half years and uh we i ended up having a bunch of this big party and i cheated on her and, and got caught and she broke up with me so after she broke up with me i was just completely done with life and everything i just she i put all my eggs in that one basket like we were gonna get married have kids like we had talked about all this stuff so as soon as she ended it with me uh, I was already getting high all the time, doing drugs all the time, but uh, my friend hit me up, and we were hanging out one night. I was like, yo, let's go get something. Let's get Zans. Let's get some Oxys. Like, let's get something. And he was like, well, I know where to get some black at. He said some black. And I was like, what is, well, what's that? And he was like, uh, heroin. We'll go get some heroin. And uh, I was like, at that point, I didn't even think about it. I was just like, fuck it. Yeah, hit him up. Hit him up. We'll, we'll drive to North Chicago tonight and go pick it up. And uh, because I didn't care anymore about what happened to me, and I was already on drugs, and I was like, shit, might, might as well take it to the next level at this point. So, um, you know, we ended up picking that up, and I smoked it off some tinfoil. And it was the same feeling as the Oxys when I was younger, but it was like 10 times as good. And I was just like, okay this is what i'm doing and the first time i withdrew i uh i had ran out of money and uh so i couldn't pick up no more dope and i didn't know what the hell was going on i remember waking up i remember us my my dad had two beds uh two empty beds and uh so i had i had my bed and then there was another empty bed and then there was a couch. So I woke up in my bed and it was drenched. It was completely just soaking wet. And I was like, what the fuck? And I got up and I was shivering. I was freaking out. And I was like, oh, and I felt like shit. So I moved to the other bed in this other room. And then I woke up from there like a couple hours later. That one was drenched in sweat. So I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I go to the couch. And then I woke up and that one was drenched in sweat too. So I tried to move back to the first bed and that was happening all throughout the night. And I was shivering. My leg wouldn't stop fucking shaking. And I just felt awful. And I didn't know, I didn't know what the hell was going on. Cause I didn't know anything about dope or withdrawing or gaining dependence on the drug, <laughs> anything like that. So it was really just scary as fuck to me at the time. Like I thought I was really sick or something like that. Right. So how did, what did you do to overcome that? Uh, so I got through that and, uh, you know, I had to just fight through that cause I didn't have any more money. And, uh, I finally, you know, realized that it was that what was going on, but i still didn't have any money to do anything about it. So I just had to fight through that one. And then, but as soon as I got another paycheck, cause I was working at, uh, at Lincoln to be in a service porter in Chicago, like for the Lincoln uh, car dealership. Yeah. And so as soon as I got my next check, I hit up that guy again in North Chicago and picked up some more of that China white. 
gray heroin. And how long did you, how long did you stay sick that time? Cause you was young then. So yeah, I st- uh, it was probably like two or three days, maybe. Yeah. That's the way I remember them days. I didn't have many of them. It was usually longer than that cause methadone and stuff like that. All right. So when did, when did your parents really come to realize what was going on? Uh, my dad didn't realize it until I finally just straight up told him because my dad was a pharmaceutical salesman. So he was always deep in his work and he wasn't really paying attention to anything. He wasn't really like, he was always on business trips and stuff. Like he didn't know. I mean, he talked to me and stuff, but he wasn't noticing that I was probably, I mean, I was probably like a hundred pounds. I was like skin and bones, like. I looked awful, like to anybody else, I probably looked like I was like a dying, like sick, cancerous child or something, but he didn't notice. And then finally one day I ran out of money and uh, I just straight up went up to my dad and I was like, dad, I've been using heroin. I said, uh, I lied to him and I told him I owe my dealer a hundred dollars. And uh, he's going to come over here and he's going to expect his money here soon. And I just lied to him so that I could said that I could pick up more dope. And uh, he gave me the hundred dollars. Well, first he was like, he was crying and shit. The, the fact that I, uh, you know, was on heroin he was real sad about it, but he gave me the money and uh, I got my guy to drop off uh, a gram of dope to me and, he came to the house and just parked in the driveway and I went out there and got it real quick and then came back in and, and then I was high as shit for the next, you know, for the next like week or something. Then my dad told me, my dad told me the next day, I think he told me you're going to rehab. And, uh, he said, you're either leaving this house or you're going to rehab. And I didn't have, any sense of like financial responsibility at the time i didn't know what i was doing like when it comes to that like i had a job but i didn't like know how to get an apartment how to do any of that like i just didn't know i was just oblivious to how you do things like that and so i chose to go to rehab and uh my dad ended up driving me to this this place in arkansas called a capstone treatment center yeah and uh, this is like a trauma-based rehab. It's it's a real expensive one out in Searcy, Arkansas. And uh, you know, I was doing dope the whole way there, like throwing up out of the out of the truck and stuff like that. And you know, I think we stopped at my grandma's along the way in Nashville, Tennessee. And I was doing dope next to my grandma. I remember my grandma. I remember doing dope like in her bathroom. I'd snort some of that gray uh, China white shit. And I came out, and I remember my grandma going, Jackson? She's like, Jackson, what's going on? And I was like, I remember I was just going like this, you know, sitting next to her, like, just nodding out. And I knew I was nodding out, but I was like, I was like, oh, grandma, I'm just tired and stuff. And just trying to make every excuse in the book, like, for her not to. But she worked at the Vanderbilt, uh, the Vanderbilt, like, addiction. There was some addiction, like, place in Vanderbilt back in yeah the, it still is they're still yeah, there now I, I guess mm-hmm. yeah yeah so she worked there when she was like young and that was like a long time ago that was like back in like the 50s probably or something like that that's one place in Nashville that you can go if you don't have any insurance man and they'll treat you or get you in somewhere that will treat you also 
So anybody listening out there who needs help, you can go to the Vanderbilt Psychiatric. And no, you do not have to tell them you're going to kill yourself. That's a that's a lie. You don't have to do that. Just go in there and tell them that you need help, and uh, and they'll help you. Um, all right. So how long how long was the treatment center you was in? Uh, that one was a ninety day treatment center. So it wasn't it wasn't that long. But then they recommend you to go to a sober living afterwards. So that's that's kind of what made it long. Is I did that ninety day treatment. And then they recommended this sober living out in Dallas, Texas. So my family drove me out to Dallas, Texas after this, to the sober living home. And uh, I stayed in there for, for uh, I think, like eight, eight months. But I relapsed like four months into it. So, like, I was like four months into the Dallas sober living, and I went and got some Kratom because I already knew what Kratom was at that time, and I was doing it in Chicago when I couldn't get any dope. And so I went to go get some Kratom relapse, but they kind of gave me a slap on the wrist for it. Right. And, and uh, you know, I stayed there another four months or something, and I think I relapsed and got kicked out of there. Like, I actually relapsed on heroin this time. It was in Dallas, Texas. You can only get black tar heroin. There's no fentanyl out there. So I, I got some black tar heroin and was doing that and then i ended up moving back to clarksville tennessee for a little bit with my friend like i got a greyhound out out to clarksville and was living with my friend tay for a while and uh shit got bad because of my drug use real quick so he kicked me out because i wasn't i wasn't like paying anything towards the rent i was just getting high all the time so he kicked me out and i got a greyhound back to dallas texas but I, I uh, interviewed to get to an Oxford sober living home uh, over the phone while I was still in Tennessee and then went straight to that Oxford house uh, after I got out of there. Or, I mean, after I got out of living with my friend. Um, and then I ended up staying there for a while and I, I relapsed on Kratom in there and got kicked out of there too. And uh, after that, I had got I had got this good job. I was a contractor for Facebook and Instagram, being a content moderator. Uh, so I had a lot of money. So I just got an apartment from then on, and then I was just using just constantly all the time because I had the money to be stable, but I had the money for drugs too. So I was just using every day, just constantly, and that lasted like three and a half years. Let's talk about kratom just a second. Um... I've had battles with that too. That's how one of my relapses, same thing. I went and started doing kratom shots. And a lot of people don't understand it. No, your body gets addicted to that shit just the same, just so you don't know. So when you see that little kratom signs out there, stay away from that shit too, because it's just a gateway right back to the same thing you're doing. Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, it's literally just, it's just a plant that's tricking your opiate receptors, I think, into, into thinking it's an opiate or something. I'm not really sure how the science on it, but kratom kratom's just like something that's gonna scratch the itch for for uh for something more like you're always like it's if you put that into your body all you're doing is like scratching that itch, like like almost like teasing yourself like oh like that's a little bit but you know what like i know what'll really get me right is is heroin you know you're exactly right and that's what it does it when you haven't been doing opiates, it gives you that same euphoric feeling for a minute. 
and then your body just gets dependent on it. I was in jail one time, man, and I was going through one of the worst detoxes I've ever been in. They brought this guy in there who had never been in jail, and he kept talking about this crater. And I was like, man, if you say one more fucking word about this crater, I'm down in this floor dying. Didn't realize the dude was really going through it a little bit, you know what I mean? Because I didn't know much about kratom at the time. But, you know, I was like, man, if you say one more word about this kratom shit. But anyway, yeah, it's bad, man. It's just as bad. All that shit's just as bad, man. It's just another way to, to, in my opinion, to hook you right back and get you right back on the same fucking shit again. All right, yeah. so how long did it take you the bottom to fall out for you there? Uh, it took, this time it took about three and a half years. Uh, but that's only because I was so financially stable at the time. And for the job I had, it wasn't a very social job. I was right. on a computer at an office and uh i was kind of able to to hide my use just enough like everybody knew i was using like if you ask any of my team members they knew i was high but it wasn't really that big of a deal because i was always able to get my get my production done and stuff and so it, it really didn't matter and we were just sitting on computers all day so it's not like i was you know operating dangerous equipment or doing anything like dangerous so it was fine but you know i was doing all different types of drugs i I dabbled in cocaine for a while did a lot of cocaine and heroin and um you know shooting that black tar heroin and i was just okay so you were i was gonna ask you i was gonna ask you if you're shooting it at this time or not and you were i started shooting it uh when i went to that Oxford house in Dallas. That's when I started shooting it. And the the whole reason I started shooting it was because, uh, this dude had some black tar one day, uh, at the sober living home. And we were like out in his car and, uh, he didn't have any tinfoil. He, and he didn't have any pills to mix the black tar with, to make it into like a snortable powder. Right. So there was no other way to do it at that point. And I, I didn't have any money at the time. So, he only had the needle and everything. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. Cause I just wanted to get high. Like I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't want to shoot it up, but I was like, I want to get high right now. And there's no other way I can consume it. So I let him shoot me up. And then uh, right after that, I just started shooting it up myself. <laughs> All right. So I know your story a little bit, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you into it a little bit. So when, how did you end up at the hope center, man? How'd all that come about? So, uh, I ended up basically, you know, I lasted in that job for a while, but then I, I took, uh, like three Xanax bars at work one day at the office and I don't know what the fuck happened. Uh, but I got put on leave cause I don't remember what happened at all cause I was so fucked up off the Xanax, but I got put on leave and, uh, eventually got terminated. And so I lost my place to live and my job. So I ended up uh, basically being homeless for about a couple months. I ended up staying with this multimillionaire dude in Dallas, which is a crazy story. I ended up meeting this multimillionaire, and he let me stay with him for a couple months, and we, like, partied nonstop for two months. But after after that all happened, I crashed his freaking $100,000 truck on the Texas-Dallas interstate, and uh, he kicked me out. So my mom... Uh, basically said I was in a hotel room and uh, I had enough money to stay a couple nights at this hotel. So I was in this hotel room. My mom calls me. She's like, uh, 
you need or i mean i was calling her too because i was like i need help i only have enough money for these two days and then i'm screwed so my mom said well i found this place called the hope center and it's like this rehab in tennessee over here where i'm at and so i said you know what screw it yeah i'll i'll go to it so my mom and my dad came to texas and picked me up and brought me to the hope center in tennessee and um you know that's when i went and uh i started the hope center which is like the hope center is like a uh, faith-based uh re rehab center in tennessee and i think they have a they have them all over the u.s now and yeah they do i think but Mm -hmm. uh basically it's a faith-based uh christian rehab facility where for the first month or first month to 45 days you kind of you work on like these cr books like celebrate recovery books and you kind of do stuff around the house like rake leaves and clean the house and shit like that and um you kind of work on yourself and do like counseling sessions and stuff like that and then uh after those 45 days are up you go and work for one of the companies that the hope center has a contract with so uh, they have contracts with different companies in the area and you go there and you basically work for your stay at the hope center. Like, like you don't get paid anything, but you're, you're paying for the rehab basically. Like you're, you get free, you know, food that you get the food, you get, uh, the place to stay, uh, the counseling, uh church you know celebrate recovery all that stuff like you get the full rehab experience but you're working 40 hours a week to pay for it basically man in your honest opinion man as far as program wise goes um how do you think the program there is i think that the program is uh is very is very helpful if you let it be i think I think uh, you can get caught up in all the all the money stuff. If you want to start thinking about, you know, where's this money going and all this stuff, then you can get caught up in that and start thinking negatively about it and then just go down a negative trail and then get nothing out of it. But at the end of the day, you got to think like most of these most of these rehabs uh, are insurance based they'll take fifty thousand dollars for you to stay there for a month yeah and in the hope center all you need is seven hundred dollars a check or cash seven hundred dollars you you pay that to them and you get a whole year of rehab like you work for it while you're there you know for those for those 10 months by the way the last two months you keep all your paychecks so you you do work for 10 months to pay for your rehab but what other rehab are you going to get a whole year of being clean and rehab and counseling and all that stuff uh, for for seven hundred dollars? You're not yeah, going to get a place to live and a place to live for a year too. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, because yeah, you know insurance kind of works like this: like they'll pay um, detox and what they call residential, but once you leave residential, insurance doesn't pay no more. So that's only you know, 60, 45, 90 days, if you're lucky, depending on your insurance. Um, they don't have a lot of that PHP, what they call PHP in Tennessee. It's a big thing in Florida, but like insurance will pay for the treatment part, but they won't pay for your housing. You know what I'm saying? 
So at the end of the day, that people do get caught up on the fact that oh man, I work and they keep all my money. But man, you got they. I mean, you're you're well fed. You got everything you need. Uh, no, they're not going to buy you cigarettes and all these kind of things. But you know, hopefully. But when you so at the ten month mark, right? You keep all your money. Do they keep it in the savings for you or can you start spending it at that point? You can start spending it at that point. At that point, it's up to you, but they're gonna, they're gonna like, like you're encouraged to save it up to, you know, get an apartment or get into a sober living and stuff like that. I mean, obviously they're not going to just straight up tell you what to do with your money, but you know, they're going to be on the lookout, though. Like, they're going to be like, well, what are you doing? You know, they're going to keep... Right. Because at that point, you're so close to everybody there that they're gonna just going to straight up come up to you and be like, what are you doing with your money, bro? Like, if you're if you're just spending it and not having no plan for how you're going to get out, they're going to call you out on it and be like, well, what are you doing, bro? Because they and that's know what, you so well. And that's what they're supposed to do. That's the whole object of the program. It's the whole object of the program, period. As, with a sponsor, with friends you make in the program and stuff. That's what the whole point is, is for people to pay attention. But you know, we as addicts, especially me, you know, you get that bad attitude and there it is. Oh man, they're all in my business. Yeah, they're all in your business because they know you're fucking up and that's why they're all in your business and yeah, that's what exactly. they're supposed to be doing, man. All right, so you graduated it, right? Yeah, I graduated Hope Center, yeah. All right, so how'd things go when you graduated? Uh, things are good now, man. I'm just, I'm just chilling and, uh, you know, I got a whole new life. Like I got a good relationship with God. You know, I, I just, uh, things have changed so much since I was out on the street and like just using every day. And, you know, since I came from Dallas, you know, I was out on the street, I was just using every day, just living to use. And that's all I could think about. That's, that's all there was in my life. There was no hope for anything other than, you know, really, I just thought I was going to die one day. Like I was going to get a bad batch and die one day. And that's kind of all I had hope for was, was, uh, just get high until I die. Really. That's all I, that's all there was for me. But after the hope center, it showed me how strong I actually am and how I'm way more than what I thought I was. Like, I didn't think I was I had anything special to give. I thought I was crap. And then now after the hope center, I realized my self worth has gone up a lot. You know, I just, I just realized how, how good life can be sober and how, how everything just falls into place when you're putting God first in your life. And it's just, it's really completely changed my life around really. That's the key, man. God and realizing that you're somebody, man, because so many of us, man, we get to the to the point in life to where, you know, we feel like everybody's gave up on us. And a lot of people have. And we didn't give them a reason not to. That's the whole thing, you know. But we can get so caught up on, well, this person did this person. No, that person didn't do shit. I did everything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so we have to find that again. You have to first start liking yourself and loving yourself again, man. But without God, as we say so many times, and I know you're a God guy. I mean, you've had enough conversations to know that. Without God, man, it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter. You know, some people can do sobriety with just God alone, not a program, this, that, and the other. And some people can't. But at the end of the day, it's all about God. If you keep your focus there, man, everything's going to be all right. You wake up and do the same exact things you did this morning. You're going to be all right, man, because you know what to do. And you know to surround yourself with that and put that armor of God on you. 
Um, Christy said that places like they're holding you accountable and she's right. That's what it's all about too. someone to hold you accountable. We need that, man. The thing is like for me, it had to be somebody that had some balls. Let me put it that way because I'll push back, you know what I mean? And, and real quick. And so, uh, sponsor that I've had for a long, long time, man, was that way. And was that way from day one was I'm not putting up with you tough guy bullshit that ain't flying nowhere here. You know what I mean? And that's love though, man. That's what that is. And that's another person, you know, loving you, man, and guiding you through it. And that's what we all need. And again, it all goes back to God because, you know, even if you're not an addict and these different things, you should work the program. Work the steps, man, because it teaches you how to be a good human being more than anything else, in my opinion. Um, and that's what it's all about, man, at the end of the day, because when we were out there ripping and running, we wasn't good human beings, man. And we've done a lot of shit and you just have to get, have to let go of it. And I think that's a good thing about that Hope Center being a year long, because, man, it takes a long time. It takes a long time to get that shit off of you. And, you know, you'll be going along in life thinking everything's fine. And all that shit that you haven't dealt with catches up with you. So I like the year long thing myself. Um, a lot of people don't. That's more the most people that don't are the ones who are not really wanting to be serious, man, about being sober. Yeah, it'll hit you like when you're at the Hope Center for a year. I had like all that all that stuff that I talked about with that girl leaving me and everything. Like I didn't realize how much I didn't deal with that till I think it didn't really hit me till probably like five or six months into the Hope Center. I had one night where it hit me in the face like a brick wall. Like it, it was so repressed down into my inner like inner soul or whatever. And yeah. when it finally came up and exploded, like I went down, we had this pond by the Dixon Hope Center and I went down there and just screamed and cried for like, it was, it had to have been at least an hour. I was just screaming, rolling around in the dirt and crying and stuff. And ever since then, I am straight up healed from that hurt in my life. Like it, and I needed that time uh, sober and away from drugs for that to finally hit me in the face, like a brick wall. Like I really needed that time uh for to like heal from that and to actually like feel the emotions that i had been repressing for so long the crying man that's a huge thing i just was talking about the other night man you know i i said i wished i could cry and then i was going through a detox man and uh i was in the shower and man that shit hit me and i cried and i cried and i told beth i said damn i can't even hear a song on the radio man i hear a song on the radio i, I want to cry and she's like you don't <laughs> Keep on crying, get that shit out of you, and I, and I did, and that, that was one of the most cleansing experiences of my life, man. Oh yeah, yeah, that definitely helps for real. Um, uh, all right, man, what you plan for the future? Tell me that. Uh, so man, I just plan on uh, I plan on moving to Dixon here soon. Uh, I'm in Clarksville right now, but I plan on moving to Dixon, going to uh, this suburb, living out there, and just getting plugged in with everybody getting plugged in with the recovery community and stuff. And, uh, I already got a job lined up out there that I want to start working. So really I just kind of plan on planting my feet out in Dixon and, uh, trying to live life to the fullest out there for as long as I can. I have all these other opportunities. People want me to move to different States and do different jobs and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I just want to really kind of focus on, on getting myself planted in one place right now. And when I think that I'm ready to move forward to different horizons, then that's what I'm going to do. But right now I just want to focus on 
staying connected with my recovery people and uh, trying to help other people who are addicted get out of that, you know, dark abyss and just, just see what all I can do while I'm here, you know. That's what's up, man. Don't move too fast. You yeah, know, I, I not to, yeah. I used to do that, man. And, you know, I would see, I'd bring up Beth again. She'd always, because I always have these big, great ideas. You know what I mean? Hey, hey, man, I could do this. I could do that. And she'd be like, won't you just slow the fuck down a minute? You know what I mean? And I'd be like, no, but, you know, I can't slow down. I wasted all this time. She's like, it's in God's time anyway, Dane. Slow down. Yeah, exactly. You just got to let God handle it, really. Yes, you do, man. And he will. That's the thing about God, you know. Um, if we'll just get out of the damn way, man, and let him do his thing, man, he'll do it. All right, buddy. Listen, thank you, man. Best advice you can give a struggling addict out there. Best advice? Uh, yep. Keep pushing every day and uh, try to find something to look forward to every week. That's what's helped me through it a lot. Try to find one thing that you can look forward to at the end of the week. Uh that you can be excited about that. That helps me get through every week and just take it one day at a time. Wake up every day. Grateful man. Find something to be grateful for. And Christy said, you can't put large expectations on yourself. That's a relapse waiting to happen. And she's dead on right with that. Christy's a girl I went to school with when I was a kid. She struggled. She was on, you should go and watch the episode we did the other night. It's a good one, man. It's one of the best ones that I did. It's got one of the best responses of all of them. You know, from a woman's point of view, I needed a woman to come on here and she did it. She did a great job. So, uh, thank you again, Christian. Thank you, buddy. We're going to cut this thing now. God bless you, man. You know where I'm at. Call me, text me. Yeah, man, I got you. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no problem. You come back to Nashville, you know I got a spot for you. Heck yeah, dude. All right, love you, buddy. See you, man. All right, love you too, man. See ya. All right, man.